0: Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, scientific documentation of the exceptional skills that people with autism possess. Now, we all know about them, but unfortunately, they'd always get recognized. This week, they did. Well, kind of. I'll explain. Led by researchers at Yale University, including ASF-SAB member Jamie McPartland, the authors looked at autism traits in the general population, not necessarily autism per se. They collected this information using something called the Autism Spectrum Quotient, or ASQ. They were able to collect over 6,500 of these scores across 100 countries. They paired these scores with scores on social perception, more specifically two types of social perception. Now, scientists already know that autism traits are related to a reduced empathy and an impairment in understanding the thoughts and emotions of other people on an individual level, including emotional processing. And of course there's variability in this, but people with autism show this deficit and scientists have wondered if that means that people with autism recognize general social psychology phenomenon at all. This means predicting the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors in people in general as a group, rather their individual reactions. The difference between these two things is the first is judging a specific individual is happy when she's surrounded by similar other people given her facial body language and auditory cues. That's called person perception. And the second is being able to predict the social phenomenon of similarity attraction, that people in general are happy when interacting with similar others. That's generalized social prediction. So the first is more specific level, a specific individual level. And the second are things broadly. It also means on the broader level, judging the emotional state or intention from one person differs from accurately predicting overall people's generalized social behavior. In psychology, these as a group phenomena means things like, for example, you've learned about them in psychology, the bystander effect, which is fear of acting during an emergency when you see other people standing around not knowing what to do. Do people with autism or people in this case with high levels of autistic traits Can they discern this or do they know what that means? It also includes misattribution, blaming behavior on something or someone that is not totally related to the person. Finally, the measure looked at phenomenon called social loafing, which is when people do less work in a group than they do on their own. The goal was not to get people to think about how they feel about these situations, but just how true or not true some of these phenomena are. The question, it wasn't a social psychology test. It was more an observation of behavior. And amazingly, thanks to decades of research into social psychology, there is a measure for understanding how people perceive social phenomena or whether or not they think these social phenomena exist. Now, people with high autism traits do have less ability to read others' emotions, as it turns out, but they also have a better ability to understand and predict these bigger psychological phenomena. Just to be clear, this was based on autism spectrum traits, again, not on an autism diagnosis. In general, we know that the higher the traits, the more likely the person is to have an autism diagnosis, but they didn't break these things up in this study. With over 6,500 responses, it was probably better to look at the traits across the spectrum rather than the diagnosis, no diagnosis group. While the effect was not huge, the effects on group psychological phenomenon was so different than the individual understanding of emotions that it is worth noting. Now, in order to further explain what was going on with this, in a completely different group of people, they replicated and extended the study to see if higher scores on systematizing was at play. As the authors state, autism traits are linked to deficits in mentalizing and effective empathy. However, they also predict above average systematizing. Now, systematizing means identifying rules and regularities of the same types. Potentially then, unlike the individual person perception judgments, which require that mentalizing and empathy, predicting these larger social psychology phenomena relies on systematizing, creating rules that apply to big groups of people. Consistent with this interpretation, social psychological skill, but not person perception, was linked to skill in systematizing. The authors found that higher ability in systematizing rather than empathizing tied into this improved ability to judge a group psychological phenomena. The author suggests that with additional time to consider and in a less stressful situation, the people with higher autism traits are able to deliberate, reflect, and reason, and then make accurate predictions and understand group behavior on a bigger level. This means they're systematizing behavior, but not empathizing. This might explain at least some of the differences. Obviously, more work needs to be done on this question, but figuring out how to tap into systematizing to improve social interactions may be a good research question going forward. Speaking of how to turn strengths to target weaknesses, researchers this week made a huge discovery when it comes to the very, very early autism diagnosis. Now, one major unresolved goal in autism research is the identification of biomarkers, not just that can predict autism, allowing for different interventions at critical windows in development, but also to help reveal the underlying brain activity to better understand what goes on in the brain even before a diagnosis is possible. I've reported on other studies before that looked at brain structure before diagnosis has been made. This is one of the first studies to look at brain activity. So in order to do this, researchers at Boston Children's Hospital have spent years studying the brain activity of kids who are infant siblings, those with a 15 times increased probability of getting a diagnosis themselves because they have a family history. They then compare this to infants with no family history of autism or those that are in the same family who don't receive an autism diagnosis. Now in this project, they looked at EEG power. EEG is what is known as electroencephalography, and it's the study of rhythmical brain patterns. Brain connectivity circuits are electrical, and in fact, they can be measured across the brain. It's done non-invasively with a special cap, which measures these patterns through the skull. They didn't just look at one time, they looked at three months to a diagnosis at three years. They could do this again because they have this very interesting group of infants with an older sibling that they're particularly keen on looking at their developmental trajectories. Now they look at measures across different time points and found that during the first year and not later time points, the data was able to predict who went on to get an autism diagnosis and who did not, both within families who had a family member and across those who didn't. This is pretty amazing because some of the same biological markers that are seen in autism can also be seen in family members, even if they're not diagnosed with autism. The researchers found that EEG power at three months to a year, and I want to say that EEG power is a mathematical conversion of the size of the wavelengths, that was most predictive. Actually, more predictive than even the two-year EEG measurements. In fact, it happened to be the trajectory, not the single time point that was the best. This means more longitudinal studies looking at the same person across multiple time points is more important than we even acknowledged before. Since assessments of EEG power closer to that age of diagnosis didn't really provide additional utility for differentiating outcomes, maybe early changes in brain activity, at least in infant siblings, is more predictive. Now, they did look at sex differences, you know I looked, or the role of sex, and it didn't really show anything. That doesn't mean that sex differences don't emerge later, but they weren't evident in EEG power in infancy. The authors do discuss the different types of power, including different wavelength types, which are interesting, but I don't wanna get into it too much in this podcast. This was the first study that actually showed gamma wavelength power. Gamma really hasn't been studied that much before. It has to do with inhibition and excitation, adding to more evidence that this balance of too quiet versus too loud is important in autism. If clinicians can do a better job at identifying those with autism and how their brains are different, they can also turn that knowledge into targeted interventions to help people across the spectrum. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week when I still hope to discuss the new SPARC study. I know you guys are involved. I do want to talk about it. So I apologize for the delay. Talk to you next week.